Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Bruce Dyshar, founder and director of Meld Strategies, a smart building consultancy based in Sydney, Australia. In this discussion, we unpack the role of a smart building consultant and the process of running and managing a smart building project and the human side of what it takes to create a successful project. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Bruce Dyshar. Hey, Bruce, welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, James. Um, my name is uh, Bruce Dysart, and I'm the uh, founder and principal of uh, Belt Strategies. We're a smart building consultancy based in uh, Sydney in Australia. All right. Can we start with your background? Can you can you go way back for me? Way back. Yeah. Way back. Well, I guess my way back point of difference uh, is that I'm actually an architect by training. So I started out uh, being trained as, a, as an architect. Um, all the way uh, uh, back in the uh, in the eighties, <laughs> uh, and uh, so I completed a bachelor of planning and design, did a bachelor of architecture in there, um, and um, yeah, it was it was a long haul. It was um, you know, architecture is a very sort of intense degree, and you spend a lot of time in the one building, whatever. So a lot of camaraderie goes out of that, and you you basically out of that, you you learn about problem solving. That's probably the biggest sort of take out from all of that. And uh, when uh, I graduated, there was this massive, massive recession in the industry. So pretty much every single one of us did not have a job. But uh, being me, I was one of the nerds during university that actually got into computer design the very early days. So I think one of the very earliest IBM PCs, some of the very earliest versions of AutoCAD that you could possibly imagine. And uh, after having been chastised for having used, a, you know, the audacity to have used a computer during my architectural degree and not doing anything with, you know, uh, lines and open apple lines and so forth, uh, found ourselves in a position where we were setting up a summer school to teach architects who were out of work how to use this new technology thing in computer-aided design. And uh, one thing led to another, and the professor at the university loved what we were doing. He said, you know, keep going. And it was meant to be just a, um, a two-week thing, and people just kept on enrolling, and we had to start from scratch. We Even setting this thing up, we had to build a network, we had to write courseware, we had to do all these training materials, we had to teach and lecture, which we'd never done before. Um, and one thing led to another, and two weeks turned into two months, which eventually turned into a job offer, and suddenly we were employed, and um, yeah, we had a, a stable job with income at the worst possible time, and learning about new technology and, and the birth of the internet, literally. And learning all these different things uh, about every type of you know things like uh, you know FTP and Gopher and really early internet sort of weird stuff before even the World Wide Web came about. So it was a great introduction, forced fed um, regarding technology and so forth. So uh, I was then lecturing at, at Melbourne University in computer design. So I established the first teaching course there in computer design for people. Uh, I completed my masters um, in digital documents there so I got deep into understanding what's the purpose of a document um, what are the digital equivalents of it how's it all work so then sort of figured out all the nuts and bolts of, of, of all of that um, and then uh, I worked in various different sort of architectural practices as well doing you know uh, that sort of stuff my father's an architect as well 
Um, and then I got picked up by uh, by Len Lease to come work on a uh, on a project there. And so I'm going to do this technology things and helping them do remote working and uh, using video conferencing to communicate to remote sites and things like that. Um, and, uh, and of course, the project then went into a into a, into a whole. Also, the project's on on hold, and another kind of mini recession was beginning to happen. I was like, great, this keeps on happening to me. <laughs> and they then said, look. Uh, Come, come up to Sydney though. I was based down in Melbourne at the time. So come up to Sydney. And uh, because we believe the skills that you have are just too important to the organization to just to let go. So come up there. So had to reestablish all sorts of different things. So, you know, I ended up at uh, Linux for like 16 years. So through various different roles, doing uh, project management and technology, working uh, the design group there. I headed up an e-business group. Uh, IT product directors of various different projects, you know, did the, all the technology for our uh, new head office, which was the first five-star green star uh, building in Australia. So got into all the, you know, the, the, the physical operational technology and IT components of that, fit out technologies and so forth. Um, they then gave me the unenviable task of, of um, establishing and setting up the project management office, which then turned into a global role. So the next minute I happened to manage guys and work with other guys in different regions uh, in Australia, UK, US to um, establish, you know, doing project management properly across all these IT projects and sort of I was sort of mm. completely up to, up to here with all of that. Um, and that went on for 16 years. And so I did you know, major projects like the technology master plan for Barangaroo, which is a $6 billion sort of um, waterfront project in, in, in Sydney that was, uh, you know, very sort of large and sort of complex. And there was something like, I don't know, I think the time I left, there was about 26 different versions of, of, of a master plan that was going on there for the, for the whole precinct. It was pretty hectic, but I'd worked across the whole of Australia, every single asset class you could possibly imagine, you know, residential, retail, you know, commercial property, master plan precincts, you know, getting uh, fiber to the premise, uh, sort of technology, GPON sort of technology for, for master plan communities, you know, three years ahead of a national rollout of the same technology. So pretty much historically over my career, I've been at the, uh, at the bleeding edge of, of technology and new emerging technologies have actually come in. Uh, and then nine years ago, established Melt Strategies. And so, um, you know, I had a vision then to establish um, a, a consulting business around creating smart buildings at a point where everyone was going, what the hell's a smart building? Mm. Uh, which was <laughs> a very, very interesting prospect because it hadn't quite settled at that particular point. People going, oh, is it an intelligent building? Is it a, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, you know, and then what's the definition of a smart building? And then you, you just you'd read these definitions that go on for, for pages. Yeah. It's like you're, you're falling asleep halfway through the definition and going, I just don't get the clear thing. So I, I wrote a book, right? So I kind of basically unpacked my brain from everything that I had learned over my career to that point. Ah, there you go. Something prepared earlier. Thank you, James. So yeah, for, for those building. of you that are, are listening to just the audio, I just pulled out Bruce's book, Smarter Buildings, Better Experiences, beautiful yellow cover. Yeah, there you go. So that was me unpacking my brain as to how does one go about creating a smart building when not actually at that point having yet created a smart building from <laughs> okay. start to finish it in yeah, its yeah. completeness. You know, done elements of and done ICNs and IP backbones and all the different bits, but sort of collectively having a process by which you mm -hmm. can actually create a smart building requires a considerable amount of thought. And so for me, the process of writing a book was an ability to actually concentrate on a topic for the first time and mm -hmm. say, 
how 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 should one actually go about doing this? And so as I began to piece it all together and go, right, this has to be done there. So knowing, you know, all of the human engineering, uh, discovery, you know, planning, uh, brainstorming, blue sky planning, all those sort of things, you know, cost planning, et cetera, all the stuff that I had learned over my career, I had to do this. I had to put together and formulate mm-hmm. into a in, into a plan, which basically says here is the, as, as you uh, like to call it in the US or in some parts, uh, the whole thing from soup to nuts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from start to finish as to how it all, all, all comes together. So that's kind of the background of, of, of where we are. So now, have established meld strategies and we specialize just in creating smart buildings. So we're not an engineering firm. We're not an MSI. We basically help our clients who are property developers and we work with design professionals. We work with builders and and so forth to help them realize a vision uh, and a strategy for creating a smart building, helping to define what actually it is and 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 just going through that whole process and steering being out there. Mm -hmm. So there's a, you know, a guiding hand throughout the whole process. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And the story, the background, the reason I have this is because I, when I was creating our foundations course, I was kind of like you where I was like, I, I'm still learning this in a way, but I'm also, I haven't put all these pieces together. And so it was like, I put together my outline and then I read your book and I was like, okay, we're, we're, we're along the same lines in most, <laughs> in most parts of your book, it, it maps pretty well to that to how we teach smart buildings in our foundations course. Um, yeah, so that's that. That was fun. So I thank you for that. Yeah. For helping helping create that. A oh, pleasure. I mean, I mean, the I, I mean, probably like yourself. I mean, I was in writing that book and going, well, there, at that point, I think there's about only two other books I think around at the time that actually I think, I think uh, Jim Sinopoli had one and so yeah. on. And, and they're, that one they're quite yeah, quite technical, right? Yeah. So you look at this thing going, well written for engineers right so mm-hmm. i was going okay well how do we make this yeah. accessible just like your podcast is right so you're saying okay how do we translate this in a way that actually enables a greater majority of people to actually understand what the hell yeah. these concepts are so i mean weird stuff like you know i'd be in meetings where people are going right we're talking about ip this and the other and, and next minute someone's ears prick up and they think okay we didn't get the lawyers involved here it's like no well hang on that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tcpip it's something else it was like you know and people just didn't understand the fundamentals you know things like bandwidth or just mm-hmm. basic 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 and then even then when i started researching it they're going man what what's an illustration that that shows you what what is bandwidth right yeah. and it, it, it's can it's perplexing as to why mm-hmm. some basic concepts aren't even illustrated or explained to people yeah. in layman's terms in a way that helps them to understand. So I congratulate you on your podcast and helping to sort of un- unpack these sorts of topics to help explain to people Thanks. What, what's going on here. Thanks. And I had a um, actually similar college experience too. So I graduated in 2010. So yeah. I don't know what financial crisis you were a part of, but mine was the <laughs> global global financial crisis. Financial crisis, yeah. That was when I graduated, and and I was still able yeah. to find a job. But at that point, for me, it was similar to you. Like you became an expert in CAD, which was a little early. I became an expert in energy modeling, and that really helped right. me. Um, I, I learned it in college as an intern, and then you know took that into the workforce when a bunch of mechanical engineers knew a ton about HVAC, but they didn't know anything about how yeah. to produce an energy model so anyway yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's funny how you you use technology to kind of find jobs and uh, in, in hard times 
that's that's it you know lemonade there's out of lemons <laughs> exactly there's a people part of your background though that doesn't make sense to me so you were an architect mm -hmm. by a training you learned CAD, but then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you had this IT job. So how did you learn right. the IT side of things? Um, well, out of necessity again. So um, through setting up, for example, the networking side of the, of the network for the computer training course, uh, somehow we got involved in helping set up the network for the whole in the faculty building. So, you know, at okay. that point, you know, the, the, that side of things. I got involved in doing the programming stuff. So I trained myself on how to uh, program in, in Autolisp and, and things like that, and okay. designing web pages, so coding on that side. So there was a coding aspect to it, there was a networking aspect to it. And then bit by bit, you begin to build up and absorb what's going cool. on around you. And remember, because it's early days, you know, everything's sort of new and everyone's going, all right, hey, did you know that you can just click on the something here and next minute you're over in MIT? And you can browse through this directory thing over there and look in all these folders and see stuff that's going on. It's like, you know, mind blown. And of course, you then dig and dig and dig and saying, how's that work? And, you know, how's it, how, you know, you know, how's it happen? So I think, you know, having an inquisitive mind to understand how things actually work as opposed to the theory of it is, is, is essential to being an innovator and understanding where, where, can you, where can you go to next? And then reading where things are going and just educating yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so tell me more about um, MELD. So can you talk about some of the key yep. projects you guys work on right now? Like what types of projects, what types of buildings, what types of clients do you have? Yes, so uh, look, I mean, starting off with the team, you've got to have a good team to, 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 to begin with, right? So again, you know, you need people that actually have experience and we, we have a, a range of people with large different sort of, you know, backgrounds and so forth, some through sort of the architectural sort of, you know, path there as well. Um, project management, um, you know, in, in a range of different areas as well. Um, people who worked on building control systems and, um, you know, electrical engineers, solar engineers, you know, all that sort of stuff there builds up a team whereby we actually understand how these things work, right? So, um, and uh, it, it's really important to have a, a, a team with capability that has the experience enough to know how to go about, you know, you know, doing this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the projects we get involved in are uh, commercial office uh, buildings that are you know, starting from, from scratch, new builds. Um, and um, that starts our process from the very beginning, sort of end to end. Um, there's uh, different types of refurbishment projects that come up from time to time where, where asset owners are looking to say, well, what else can we do? Because obviously it becomes a bit of a comparison game um, at mm -hmm. times and people are going, oh, okay, well, we've seen these new buildings have these features around what they're doing in their lobby regarding visitor management, for example, or um, just simply getting an IP backbone in the building, um, you know, um, or having dashboards in the building, um, or improving the entry facilities, so you need um, you know smart lockers in there, things like that. So refurbishment projects bring around a lot of the attributes, more so on the um, occupant-facing technologies, yeah, um, and uh, workplace things. So COVID has been, uh, I guess, a massive um, uh, catalyst for introducing a new range of technologies, and I found that throughout my career um, as as well. When times get tough, actually weirdly or fortuitously, people actually turn to technology as a potential solution. So you need to differentiate yourself from the market. You need to actually use technology to increase efficiency and performance of, of, of buildings and, and things, of workplaces and, and so forth. And so, um, yeah, so people do focus on technology. And we definitely saw that throughout COVID. 
when people are going, all right, what are we going to do here to help facilitate return to work? So we've got uh, lots of projects where we have been working with clients uh, nationally across their portfolio, uh, helping them understand how do we improve workplace environments and the use of technologies in that workplace. But then surprise, surprise, how does that workplace environment integrate with the base building? Um, and and work around areas such as security and so forth so that to improve that user experience of coming into the building or working there after hours or counting mm-hmm. number of people coming in, et cetera. So pretty diverse and across commercial uh, office buildings, uh, mixed use, uh, uh, retail, um, residential, multi, multi-unit residential, build to rent, things like that, yeah. Yeah, and so it, it seems like looking at some of your work, and the projects you've worked on, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in more detail, but sure. I just wanted to ask you this up front. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like you have a similar mindset to a lot of the writing I've been doing recently around the horizontal architecture. It seems like, yeah. like you just said, integrating with the base building, right? So there's the base oh, okay. building, yeah. which is the device layer. And it seems like everything you do or everything you've done recently has some sort of converged network happening. Yes. And then oh, yeah, some always, sort of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then some sort of data platform on top. I can't remember yes. what you call it. And then some sort of application layer at the top. Is that kind of your, your that's, mindset? That's that's pretty much the architecture. Yeah, yes. Because basically the, the simple principle is that the, the control systems at the bottom end of that layer, the operational technologies, are really your best of breed systems, right? So they're your access control, lighting control, lift control, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Obviously, all these systems over time need to connect to an IP network, right? So that's your, well, in, in the States, you, t- you call it a converged network, um, uh, or we call it um, an integrated communications network or an ICN. Um, principles the, the same. However, the subtlety of it, uh, um, and it was sort of reinforced uh, with me when I went to the um, IVCon conference, you know, recently, is that converged network terminology uh, has come about because there's more owner-occupied assets in the states. Thereby, you've got IT and operational technologies coexisting on the one network. So you might have a, an entire building, for example, that's owned by Adobe, or um, you know, so they they own the building and they're the tenant in there. So the economy of scale is put everything on the one network, mm-hmm. right? Which on paper looks good, right? In Australia, we freak out of that concept because really these two things should be air gap from each other because otherwise you, you're basically putting yourself in front of a whole range of cybersecurity you know, issues on, on, on that front on there. So you've got sensitive, potentially you know, um, commercial and confident you know, information or personal identifiable information, blah, 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 right? All... all <laughs> Okay, yeah. you know, going over going over the same network, right? And, and that's only ever going to be as good as the weakest link in the chain, right? So that can go complex very, very quickly. So we, we, we like to prefer to keep those things separately. Uh, and then that independent data layer on top, which you're talking about, which is sort of changing in shape and size and, and so forth there. And then a presentation layer on top of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And with that architecture, it brings about a flexibility to choose the best of breed, right? Of, of what's going around and... and um, you know, what I've learned over my career, as much as you'd like to think the last building is just like the next building, every building more or less is a prototype um, Mm -hmm. because you're not stamping out exactly the same building every single time, even if it's stage one, stage two or stage three of a, you know, three building 
uh, precinct, for example, it is likely that over the course of those projects, things will inevitably change. So things will change in changes of technology or have happened because of procurement processes or the design team has changed slightly or the construction team slightly different or other, other types of things. So as much as you would hope that this is just a infinitely repeatable, exactly the same process, mm -hmm. every building ends up more or less having some unique characteristics which requires the hand holding which is kind of the service we provide to our customers to help them steer their way through understanding totally. how to how to achieve the best possible outcome under the circumstances with the budget they've got looking at the risk profile they have for the project got it before we get to the hand holding i'd love to hear just how so you've been doing this for nine years Yep. How has that data layer, that independent data layer, how has that piece of the puzzle changed throughout those nine years? <laughs> Let's just say it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's both overwhelming and underwhelming at the same time, the progress that has been made, right? I mean, you've, you've sort of had this under the microscope many times on your, on your mm -hmm. podcast. And um, everyone just hones in on the BMS. I think mainly because everyone, that's the background that they've had and that's where yeah. they come from. And here we are in 2022 and everyone's going, uh, there is no complete set of data tags or the, what's the right ontology, blah, 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 to you know help explain what's just in that environment, let alone go down the all the others. Mm -hmm. to all the other stuff there as well. And, and as soon as you head past your traditional kind of, you know, lift, sliding control, access, et cetera, you know, the, the mind goes blank and the whiteboard goes up and they're going, I don't know, how, what are we going to call these data points that's coming out of our car, you know, mm -hmm. the, our uh, car park management system, for example, right? Yeah. And it was like, uh, <laughs> right. You know, what discipline does that even fall under? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, areas there that have yet to be fully um, resolved. But look, the principles are all the same, yeah? And and at the end of the day, there has to be just clear communication around how does, what your approach actually is, and it has to be well-documented and understood and communicated and so forth. And um, I guess out of frustration, a lot of organisations have gone, okay, well, look, we're going to have to start just developing our own standards around this trying to comply as much as possible with emerging and evolving standards, but at least getting that line in the sand that's documented that says, okay, next job, here's where we, we last left off and it, it, it should be sort of named like this. But mm -hmm. consistency and documentation is, is key so that the next person picking it up or the other person on that project can understand what the hell's actually going on uh, or has a, has a structure or a, a schema that can be followed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is really, really, really important. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about this handholding, as you called it, um, this yeah. this consultant role, the smart building consultant. Yes. I think the best way to start with that topic would be your definition. So you mentioned earlier, there's, you know, these definitions end up looking like books and fall asleep before you get to the end of them. How, yeah. how do you guys define what a what a smart building is? Smart building is, okay, right. So this is one of the things I had to do in my in my book as well. And even then I've done a few little sort of tweaks, you know, to it. So we've defined yeah. a smart building as a building that's safer, healthier, more comfortable, resilient and productive uh, building for its occupants and more operationally efficient one for its owners through its life cycle. 
And the key thing there we emphasize is the life cycle aspect of it, right? It's it's thinking beyond the defects liability period as, you know, one can cruelly uh, sort of say, you know, a lot of buildings are designed to survive the defects liability period and see you later, right? So yeah. the builders aren't, aren't, aren't uh, encumbered with the operational expense of running a building, for example. So as much as they will fulfill the requirements to make it a, you know, lead gold, lead platinum, green star, whatever sort of rating type of building, understanding mm-hmm. how to continuously improve the performance of the building in order to lower energy consumption or lower operational costs really is not a part of their KPIs or their thinking in, in, in delivering the building, right? So it's really important to um, understand the, the drivers that sit uh, behind that and how one can actually achieve you know, those outcomes. Yeah. yeah, okay. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Okay, so now talk about the the role, like the role you play to like make that happen. In happen, kind of yeah. Big well, picture way. Sure. So it starts off with the with the strategy side of things, and and really helping, uh, you know, the client understand what is it, what is the outcome that they're actually you know looking for, and most of the time they don't really understand necessarily what that 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 is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they've heard about it. Um, look, the analogy I give is is always it's a bit like when green buildings first came about, right? So when green buildings first came around, I'm like, great concept, makes sense. We could be more, more environmentally sustainable. Let's let's start making green buildings. Pause. What's what does that building? actually mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, and then sort of the world's struggling, going, okay, what is a green building? Good point. Okay, and then as you begin to unpack that, people have realized, oh, okay, it's a holistic design process. It is, it affects everything. It affects the materiality of the building. It affects, um, you know, the, the 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 way you measure the building. You know, all these sustainable sort of principles have to go, and they and they apply to mechanical, electrical, hydraulic, fire, lift, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all the way down ultimately to sort of you know workplace environments, et cetera, depending on what you're doing. And there always is that separation between core and shell and uh, tenancy uh, uh, as well. Now, wind forward, um, that's the same with technology and smart building. So the strategy part of it really is being sort of understanding, you know, what is the outcomes you're looking for, depending upon the stakeholders that you're trying to appeal to. I mean, is, is this something that's really being driven, yeah, by, by the facilities managers, or is it something that's been driven by, uh, you know, leasing and tenants, you know, is it something that's been driven by sustainability? Is it being, dri- and, and the reality is, it's more than likely going to be a combination of all those different stakeholders. Yeah. So how do you balance that, right? So the process really is to be clear on what the outcomes you're looking for. Everyone wants to understand what's in it for me. Yeah, so mm-hmm. if I'm a tenant now, what makes it smart? Yeah, or if I'm a facilities manager running the building, well, why is it why is it smart? What does it do for me? Yeah. So understanding what those those um, questions actually are, 
uh, what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve and how is that going to actually work is, is critical sort of steering through that, that strategy process to help articulate a clear vision around the outcomes to, to, to be achieved. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of it is, is human engagement. Can you, can you talk about this 80, 20 rule that you have? Oh yeah. So my 80, 80, 20 rule is, is, um, pretty much that it's 20% about technology and there are a lot of technologies in building. So we would see probably anywhere from 25 to 40 different sort of technologies or technology touch points in a building involved in a smart building. Um, and it's 80% about people and human engineering, right? So what I've learned over, over many years is that all the way from the beginning through to the end, funny enough, there's people involved and funny they enough. all have different go, they all, they all go about, thinking about and using technology different ways. Some people want to be there and are proactive and assertive and go, I don't really care how it actually happens, but they've got a vision to say, I want this to happen, right? So they're kind of your early adopter, um, sort mm -hmm. of in their crowd, your early majority. Then there's got people who are sitting on the fence, right? They're your, they're your late majority and they just sort of going, uh, I don't know, I guess so. Um, and then you've got the guys there just do not want to be there, right? Yeah. And it's like, until there's some sort of evidence and they're the, they're the guys that are going to be prodding and they're going to be saying, well, prove to me the ROI. You know, why, sh why should we be, be putting these things in here? Show me the evidence that says that this has been successfully done before across five different buildings, right? uh etc you know and if we adopted that same mindset we'd probably still be going around in a horse and cart still um you know etc so really being able to read the room understand those different value propositions understanding what present, represents value to the person who's actually going well why should we do this right knowing about so every now and again still to this day you'll have someone saying so why are we using an ip network why do we have to do that now, seriously, you know, this is 2022 and you still have sometimes people going, well, why? Right. It doesn't because they never sat down enough to sort of think about why. And and mm -hmm. then you go, oh, my God. OK, right. Let me cast my mind back 20 years ago when I was being asked the same thing. And what was the what was the rationale that one could use to do that? And that's that was something that I had to do on the Barangaroo project, for example. Yeah. When I was saying we should have an ICN in every building. Right. So here's a $6 billion precinct, right? I go, why, why are we doing an ICN? Says the builder. Like, right, okay. So how much should we spend? How much should we spend on cabling, for example? You know, and I'm asking this question to, you know, 30-year veteran yeah. cost planning <laughs> estimators, right? Who are going, of course we, uh, and then pregnant pause. The reality is they didn't know the answer. They didn't huh. know how much money was actually spent on cabling. Why? Because they know that there's an electrical package and with yeah. an electrical package, there's a security package. Yeah. They know that there's cabling associated with it, but they don't understand the real cost associated with it. Right. Because elementally, they haven't unpacked it enough because they just look at a cost per square meter rate and they say, mm -hmm. that's it. Right. And as you and I both know, you can't estimate the cost of a building on a cost per square meter rate because technology is elemental, right? And uh, so taking people through that process to say, okay, well, you can actually save money using ICN. I had to go back to first principles and say, okay, how much it costs per lineal meter for cabling and trays and coordination mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. And then we, came, we you know, eventually came up with a number that was just unbelievably massive, right? And the millions and millions of dollars of savings that could be made just through simply dematerialization of cabling 
to arrive at one common IP infrastructure, et cetera. But that was the evidence that a certain element of, of you know, of, of the industry required in order for them to make the hmm. next step logically that says, okay, I accept now the fact that, the, that having a common converged IP network actually is more efficient and will save us money on this particular project, all right, tick. But unless you're prepared to, in some cases, go through that behavioral change process and provide the evidence, you, you sometimes are going to get a lot of no's on things. But it's kind of the experience is knowing what direction people are actually sort of pushing in or likely to behave and knowing mm. when is the timely information they will need in order to help them make decisions around different things. All right, okay, because they're hearing feedback, for example, from leasing agents that says, yes, that would be a useful thing to have in the building. We're hearing some positive feedback about the importance of these sorts of things and then trip facilities, you know, and so forth. And the other aspect of it really is um, understanding how buildings actually operate and work uh, and, and so forth. And having that, you know, that human experience about operation and how that works could then lead into the business process and then the technology, importantly, that drives all of that and actually can support that outcome in there. So we don't mm -hmm. like doing technology for technology's sake. So it has to be driven by a, a, a you know, a business need for doing it and um that 80 20 rule you know you need to be prepared to do the hard yards and that's where the experience comes in because you've been there before you've seen it before you've seen the pushback you know what goes wrong in the field um you know it actually works enough to help guide and facilitate people based upon the experience to to make things happen yeah totally. and the bigger picture of all of that is that if 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 that process is not facilitated things tend to fall down mm -hmm. right and the, and the process of, of concept design or detailed design or construction or operation the handover can fall over. And if one part of that falls over along the way, then guess what? Technology falls under the bus. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, the headline reads, oh, this whole thing is stupid. You know, technology hasn't worked. Which bit? Oh, all of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and then you try and unpack actually what the hell they're talking about and what which part of it, right? So, you know, weakest link in the chain, particularly when this is all new and experience isn't there and everyone is on a learning curve, is 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 hard, right? So you need to learn to expect the issues to come about and how to deal with that yeah. type of thing behaviorally. Yep. Totally. This is all very validating to me because our our course that we you know developed with with the help of your book but with a, a lot of other input as well but it's very validating because if there's been one criticism of it from students it's that you didn't quite get into ai or you didn't quite get into digital twins enough at, like I, I wanted to go deeper into technology but what yeah. i've what we've created it around is like every week is kind of like 80 20 every every yeah. week like it's basically engaging stakeholders um developing out use cases which means sure. engaging with people uh, that are actually out there doing things in buildings um engaging with integrators and understanding what needs to happen in existing systems to enable new new technologies um engaging with the supply chain and the vendors out there to understand what technologies are capable of right um, yes yes engaging with financial stakeholders to understand how this use case makes an impact in someone's business, right? Uh, and yep. then finally, we do week six, which is um, all about careers and all about like all the companies that are in our industry. Like if you're going to get a job in smart buildings, 
like what are the types of companies, what are the types of roles. Sure. So if you think about that, what I just said, like that's all people. Yeah. That <laughs> like, is, it is all people, hundred percent, and it, it is not to be underestimated. And and just sort of picking up your point there that you made about digital twins and AI, right? I mean, that's sort of out there at the edge, which is sort of you know six stand black belt stuff, right? <laughs> right, I mean, right. So, some some people go, oh, well, look, that's really easy. You know, you know, you should be doing that. Why don't you do so, But look, unless you have the fundamentals right, unless you have the foundations yeah. right, unless yeah. you've actually got people competent on the basics over there, why the hell are you trying? I mean, you know how hard it is just trying to pull data out of a building, yeah. let alone pull data out of a building and connect it to a high resolution, you know, 500 LOD BIM model thing that you're expecting somehow this next generation black belt oh, yeah. facilities manager is going to run and operate and lean in and go, yeah, I'm totally good with that. I was, I actually, I was expecting that. Why wasn't I here yesterday type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not a reality in our industry. Now, it is appropriate to some industries and some sectors and some asset owners might be prepared to go there because they're prepared to invest the time and the skills and the resourcing and, the, you know, are, are prepared to cop that on the chin. But, you know, when you when you're looking at the uh the, the you know a baseline capability um you got to get some you know some some you know runs on the runs on the board first of all before you can actually begin to progress that particular level and now for example in our work we would much rather you use less technology and implement it well than attempt something which is so far out there and has a significantly higher potential to go wrong mm -hmm. yeah thus yeah put it, throwing everything under the bus, thus the potential for someone to be saying, aha, uh -huh, I told you so, you know, yeah. why have we spent all this money trying to implement something that couldn't be implemented with the skill set we've got, right? Because yeah. it's even a bit of a leap of faith, assuming somehow that the builder is going to be capable, yeah, in, a, in the sort of environment we, we all sort of face globally to be able to pull this off, right? So it requires a lot of dedication just in the best of times, let alone assuming the market will kind of figure this out you know yeah. so says the hope says so says the hopeful specification there's people just lying around going oh great another ai driven building has just turned up right so mm -hmm. awesome yeah so yeah it, it requires a lot of persistence <laughs> and 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 just to be clear like obviously i love all of the cutting edge technologies i'm sure you do oh, too i, could, do. I oh, could just go deep it. into it all day but it's sure. important to then point out that you have prerequisites to getting to that cutting edge that you must you must 100%. walk through. Yeah. I mean, think of it like a building, right? You can't just build 50 stories on sand, right? You gotta have foundations. You gotta have yeah. the fundamentals there in the first place. You gotta have, you know, the cyber secure, rigorous, um, you know, ICN there from a network communications perspective. You need the high speed, you know, symmetrical internet services connecting to that building. You need the data layer properly organized, properly tagged, properly structured. You need a presentation layer that's going to be intuitive and easy to, to, to understand with multiple stakeholders. You need, you know, these sorts of things as foundations as your starting point, right? Before mm -hmm. you then go, well, what's the next level up that, next level up that? And you can always come back and improve things, you know, you know, after the fact, if you get those foundations right. But if you haven't got them right, then you've just got this veneer of an approach. I mean, part of this is I, I call it Manager by Airline magazine, right? <laughs> it, it, it's where, where people come in with this, you know, great idea. It's like, oh, I just read that so-and-so is doing a digital twin. We need to be doing a digital twin. It's like, 
we haven't even done our first smart building. We haven't done our, you know, anything yet. We don't even, you know, baby steps haven't done anything at all. But I want to do, you know, mm-hmm. something out there which is just a, you know, a, a plaque on the wall or some sort of amazing thing. Uh, but haven't yet sort of gone down the road of understanding how does this all work and what does it take to to achieve. Totally. So, um, all yeah. right, let's go through That's what the, it takes to, yeah. to achieve. The let's let's go through the different phases of, of a project sure. with you guys. So I want to walk sure, through sure. each of them and and I have multiple okay. questions about each of them for you. So okay. let's let's okay. go back to the, you, the strategy phase you talked about. What is sure. what does the strategy phase entail? Okay, the strategy stage there. Well, look, we start out with sort of sort of education and communication around what sort of things you can actually do. So you know, kind of run a workshop get a shared vision happening, mm-hmm. um, understand what the, you know, what what the end outcome is going to look like, right? So um, and at that point, you need to understand really what are the types of technologies that can actually be used, what's all, uh, what does it mean? Um, and uh, help them with the cost planning process, really. So to understand how much is this actually going to, to, to cost preemptively. Most cost planners, you know, estimators are not good at this. <laughs> so we actually go through the whole process to to help unpack that and understand what that is, and we're, we're pretty accurate in our, in our estimates, you know, over time of, of what that actually looks like. And real quick um, so, on on the cost estimates, are you doing costs compared to status quo of of the uh, vision that they have? Uh, How does that again, work? Which which again is a bit of a moving target uh, yeah. as well. So what is status quo, right? Mm-hmm. You're comparing it to a building that is similar in nature that has done, for example, mobile access control, or is a standard access control, right? Yeah. So there's always going to be a component which is going to be a delta to what is business as usual, or is it a brand new technology that they haven't considered before? So for example, in this building, you've got people counters or IAQ sensors, never been done before, not a part of a thing. Well, that's a part of a you know, okay. a technology okay. uplift cost, right? Okay. So basically you're looking at, at deltas in some way, at least some ability to articulate um, a cost associated with it and kind of you're scrutinizing back with a cost plan again. Well, is that included in your price time? Is that included in your price? And most of the time they're going, I, I think so. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it's too, usually the response you get back. So it's a little bit underwhelming, but, um, you know, at least they're increasingly getting aware of the topic areas, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but that's where kind of our you know the experience that you need to understand you know how things actually get priced by you know okay. contractors and so forth come into play. Okay. So at that particular point, you know, um, and we help articulate that um, through a range of of, of different uh, ways and showing you know visually you know with the master plan or uh, with a kind of reverse brief uh, as well, which basically encapsulate all that sort of thinking uh, and being able to communicate to stakeholders. This is what we plan to do. Essentially, mm-hmm. so another way of articulating the strategy part of it is, is, is sort of describing as a concept design stage. So that concept design stage, you really want to have everybody on the same page and saying, "Yep, we're not we're not the outcome we're looking for here." Things that help to improve safety, security, sustainability, placemaking, well-being, etc. Yep, mm-hmm. and everybody is on the same page in terms of the investment uh, and effort that will be required to do that. Yep, that's okay. the, that's your first stage around strategy. Uh, the next stage is design, uh, and typically we would take carriage of all the uh, specialist technology areas on there as well, and uh, we will look after things around the specifications for things such as the independent data layer. And this, this is another terminology that actually is confusing the whole industry, so we need to we need to land on this, James. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> so, in, independent data layer, you know, ISP, OIP, do re me. I don't know. You know, it comes up with. <laughs> 
these different terminologies that people haven't quite stuck, but I think your the description of an independent data layer is probably the best conceptual description of, of, of that as well. But, you know, and there's multiple ways you can go around through it. And, and increasing by the day, the, the, the methodologies and approaches that you can take to the architecture of that type of platform as well. But uh, dashboards, uh, you know, so all the specialist technologies we'll take carriage of, and then also we need to provide some level of input to the services engineers designed as well, who may or may not, depending on their skill set, understand what's required if the outcome is a smart building. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's detailed design, essentially getting it to a point when it goes out to market, that the market will understand and be able to easily interpret what is required from a technology perspective. Um, in the same way that they're also understanding from a sustainability perspective, because there will be an ESD consultant, for example, uh, that is involved in defining what's required for them to achieve, you know, lead or Green Star yeah. or Grisby mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Okay. So you've got a technology component, you've got a sustainability component, you've got your normal service component, and then hopefully the builder is in a position where they can actually understand what is required, what are the contractors they will need, what are the proposed technologies that are on the on the, on the tech stack, et cetera. Uh, and ideally, you know, how those different systems and approaches will be packaged um, mm-hmm. across different contractors for it to work. So at that point, um, the project will have been uh, tendered. Um, can and I ask you a real quick follow-up? Yeah, yeah. So you and I were having dinner at RealCom. We were stuffing our faces yeah. with tapas and our mutual <laughs> friend, uh, Tyson, he said, he said, so Tyson Suter, he said, Bruce yeah. writes the best specifications. Can, can you, and I, I wrote that down. Can, can you, like, can you give me some, like, how do you write the best specifications and like, what are the best specifications? Well, the best specification is actually understanding how the thing gets built. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, right? I mean, you, you have to put yourself in the contractor's shoes and go, well, what is it they need to know? And you look at a lot of specifications and there's just like, well, what is that? I mean, uh, they don't, you don't need to tell them about the standards and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, that's perhaps not helpful. So I guess, you know, it, it's really um, helping contractors to price the job fairly and, and going back to this human engineering aspect of, of it, right? So when people don't understand, there's a saying, you know, where there's mystery, there's margin, right? Hmm. And 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 people will price accordingly. If a builder or a contractor is looking at something they don't understand, it's like, how does that work? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I better raise my price to cover that because if it doesn't end up the way that I think it's going to come out, right? Then I'm going to get in trouble here, right? Yeah. So it has there has to be clarity around what's actually you know required, um, and um, yeah, being articulated in a way that's just yeah easy easy to interpret. Got it. Got it. Can you give me an example of something like if you were writing a spec for the independent data layer, for instance, what would be something that would have to be in that to make that buildable? Of course, of course, of course you've, yeah, of course you've, you've focused in on the trickiest one of, uh, of, of, of all. I had to. Simply because, yeah, simply because there are emerging a range of different architectures around this. And this is, mm. I think, where, it is actually getting quite tricky in the industry because is is I mean what we what we're doing really doing here is writing a specification for the MSIs. Okay, what is it you need to do now? MSIs, it's going to come down to well, how independent are they actually in terms mm-hmm. of the solutions they're going to choose? Now, the definition of an integrator 
is someone who's able to integrate a whole range of different, in their opinion, best practice technology systems together to help reduce that. So in the network engineering world, an integrator will go, well, we're going to use this type of firewall, which might be different from all the Cisco switches, for example, right? And the reason why we use that particular firewall, because it's manageability, it's price point, it's security mm-hmm. levels, it's equivalent to something else. So rather than just buying one brand, for everything, you're going, well, we know that it's compatible because of these protocols and that we can actually integrate, you know, use that there. It's easy to integrate, it saves time, et cetera, et cetera. Now, an integrator should be doing the same sort of thing now, but if that MSI turns out to be an agent for only one product and the architecture of that particular product says that it has to go this particular way, then your ability to, you know, it's so you, and we sort of, you know, we're, we're like Switzerland, right? We have to be like Switzerland. Yeah. And say, so, okay, well, look, we're going to play this with a, it's not going to be leading down the path that it must be this particular technology or it must be, you know, this particular technology solution. And so, you know, the, 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 the skill around this is coming up with, you know, supporting the principles of open standards, open systems, you know, manageability, understanding, you know, OPEX costs and mm-hmm. you know, all those okay. types of areas on there as well. So it has to be written in a way that it's it's outcome focused, yeah, standards based in its approach and with enough flexibility there to allow the MSI to do what they know best, yeah, in terms of mm-hmm. the way you actually procure and implement the particular system. And also ultimately is acting in the best interests of the asset owner uh, at the end of the day, you know, trying to escape from the kind of technology for technology's sake, you know, is there really a reason to capture this much data for the sake of capturing, you know, that much data, right? Does it really make economic sense to go through the pain of trying to capture Mm -hmm. the 90 points that are available to you in a smart meter, right? When really we only need six. Yeah, yeah. So putting a measure on it in a way that, because technology can be solved in many ways. You can do, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? So what's the most prudent economic way of going about doing is, is I think, key yeah, to, to, to writing uh, these specifications in a, in a way that, that helps everybody win, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're doing the right thing by the owner. You're doing the right thing by the contractor. You're doing the right thing by the builder. And you're not just punishing people for the sake of punishing people because you've got no idea and for the avoidance of that, I would just do everything, right? So yes. yeah, ultimately that doesn't doesn't go well. <laughs> okay, I, I interrupted you before the implementation Sorry. phase. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, at that point there, it's just really uh, at the end of that procurement process, you know, talking with the builders, making sure that they understand what's involved talking with, um, they'll usually have a services engineer or someone like that that would be responsible for implementing systems. You know, do they really properly understand what's involved in here? Do they have the skill set? Do they need a hand? More often than not, they will need a hand in being able to, you know, steer through the process and understand mm-hmm. what their contractors are doing because, you know, you know, tenders are a very time pressure thing, right? Back to this human condition. It's like, you know, has a builder seen this sort of type of specification for the first time and they're kind of quietly on the inside freaking out. Yeah. Um, you know, are they admitting that they're freaking out or they're just going, oh, we've got this, we're all good. And then finding out later they're not good and they don't know really what mm-hmm. they're doing. And then you find out, you know, so there's a stage which is a very interesting transition from the point, you know, going through tender and then, you know, Contractor X has got the job, and then all right, then 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 the conversations come out and going, yeah, we're gonna need a hand with this one. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but you know, we're we're sure we're we're sure people. Like, it, it, it's fine, right? I mean, this is the journey that everyone's going on. Right? Yeah. I think the mistake here is to say I know it all, mm-hmm. right? I know I know everything, right? Um, because uh, it, it can be a recipe for for disaster. So, and that's really what the implementation process is all about, right? It, it's getting away from the dot dot dot. Well, I assumed, right? Mm-hmm. Ne- never assume the assumptions that you think are in people's heads, right? So the process here is to really go through and, and make sure that, that the builder is organized, structured, you know, is procuring at the right time, um, you know, has got the right contractors on board, the contractors getting the right products, you know, they're presenting the right samples, the right level of testing's happening, you know, allowing for Murphy's Law, um, um, and you know the things can and will go wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and allowing, I think a lot of people suffer from what I call optimism bias. Yeah, how hard yeah. could it be? Well, actually hard, right? But it's more to do with coordination, right? So you know, one one trade might get it, but the others simply do not, and they don't really understand the implications of what they're doing. You know, take smart bathrooms for example there's a knock-on effect it just looks a simple hydraulic thing but actually now you've got network cabling involved you've mm-hmm. got uh, me- you know mechanical or trying to report in either backnet or some other sort of you know communications protocol it's got to go to some other network you know suddenly the plumber's going whoa i mean another another world here all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. thought this back in plumbing school i never thought this would happen right so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how does that work, right? So you have to sort of help sort of steer that process, you know, through. Mm-hmm. And that's that's you know what our guys actually are really good at is helping builders, you know, and then ultimately reporting back to the owners um that this is actually what's going on. Yeah, yeah. this is actually how it's working and 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 uh and so forth. So implementation is a is a pretty sort of interesting process, you know, leading all the way up to practical um completion where everybody wants everything sort of working on the day. Um, and handover, so, so the first part of it, and then just handholding that process to to handover to uh, facility managers and, and making sure they understand to operate this building, which now has these forty technologies in it compared to the six that they used to have. Uh, rolls off it. the tongue. Rolls yeah. off the tongue. Right. But, uh, <laughs> sure does. Human human engineering, right? <laughs> uh, so. I think one of the things people struggle with with all the, that process you just took everyone through is the different roles of the people that aren't core contractors, right? So there's yeah. like the consultant role that you guys are playing. There's the design engineer's role. There's the MSI role. There's the commissioning agent role. All of those are kind of like, in, in a way, they're all kind of like service provider, consultant type of professionals, yep. right? So how do you delineate between all of those on the projects that, that you work on? Well, well, that's a very important thing we, you know, to do. And that's what we establish up front at the beginning of the of the whole project. And usually mm-hmm. that's a question that's in the mind of 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 the client anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, who are all these people? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do they all do? Right. So the education process starts right there. So they need to be educated as to look, here's what we do. Here's what they do. In some cases, we are the lead on a certain topic, and then we will provide input to someone else's design, right? Okay. In other cases, they are the they are the lead, like the MEP consultant, right? They're the lead, but we will provide some input to the design that they're coming up with. Mm. Yeah. And I think as long as those demarcation lines are actually clear up front, 
uh, in the same way as it's clear what an ESD consultant is actually doing, for example, um, you know, and how they're interacting, what access they were required. And when that's all clear up front and through the course of a project, then you don't have either double ups or complete misses where no one's got it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if everyone's on the same page as to their roles and responsibilities over the course of a project, then the outcome is much better. Got it. And then so specifically on the MSI piece, how do you guys, how do you sort of think about on a normal project when there's an MSI? Like, what do you guys do and what do they do? Can you describe yeah. that, yeah, that yeah. process? Well, it, 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 it's a scale thing. And I think the biggest thing that we bring to the table, obviously, writing the specification for it in the first place and going back to those things we were talking about previously because um, obviously they have their own methodology about how they go and doing things but it's just applying the rigor and the helping out with the coordination that's actually required yeah to mm -hmm. make their job more efficient and and uh and time and cost effective in what the, in what they're doing so that if they sort of be helping to get the ducks all sort of all lined up in a way that actually sort of they're, they're getting timely information in a way they're not going well, where is this guy that's meant to be the contractor so and so doing something you mm -hmm. know then then um those things are being coordinated in a way that you know that there's stuff being procured by matter because look their focus really is on the this independent data layer right mm -hmm. and in some cases the presentation layer of how that all comes together right so the more they can focus that and less on the you know, where's the, where's the system? Where's the contractor? Who do I talk to? How's it all yeah. work? You know, okay. etc. Then they can really focus on the, the core deliverable, which is around the technology and so forth. Yeah, then um, that makes everything sort of flow together because we're managing the, the the client up one end. You know, the next incoming facilities manager, the you know uh, it might be a, a you know a tenant you know rep manager or leasing agents there's a whole lot of people that need to understand everything that's going on or about to happen on this particular project and everything's all been quartered away then then we can be we can provide greater clarity around what the deliverables actually will look like because mm -hmm. we're gathering requirements a little bit along the way in that process as well and helping to feed the MSI with timely information so they can do the best possible job Got it. Yeah. So they can basically just implement. Correct. Got it. Cool. So let's tie us together. I'd love to hear about one project in particular that comes to mind, like a case study. Can you yeah. tell us a story around like a, a specific building on this? This Specifically, I'm curious about the 80-20 thing. Like who were the key humans that had to be brought along? Okay. And yeah, how did you sort of make it happen? Sure. I mean, I, I know that just before we started here, we said, okay, well, let's, let's pull out one building, right? But it's a bit like sort of saying, which was, which one's your favorite, which which one's your yeah. favorite child, right? Yeah. <laughs> or it's a, or, or it's a bit like saying, which is the smartest building in the world, right? You know, yeah. it's like, well, you know, there's elements of different buildings, yeah, where you know, which is which was good and bad. So, I mean, I'll talk across some of sort of the issues that we see, which is probably more of more interest to 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 your probably. listeners on that perspective. Yeah. So. You know, in, in this process where, you know, education of stakeholders is really key. So, um, and I think really sort of, um, you know, getting things coordinated and, and aligned and, and so forth in the in the documentation process is, is, is really sort of, you know, critical um, in, in deliberate. But in, in construction, um, things happen that require a lot of attention to achieve a successful project. So even projects with all these different things going on, that things are being signed off, et cetera, you walk in the comms room and it's like, 
hang on, we've got a whole BIM model that's building and I'm seeing trade waste pipes going through the comms room. How does this happen, right? <laughs> so I won't name the building, but this is an award-winning building. And this is, the, this is what confronts us when you go and visit site and then look in that, in that room and say, what is going on here? How did this happen? And the builder goes, oh, oh yeah. Contractor must have just done that. All right, okay. Yeah, we'll just get them to move it, right? But just so much stuff sort of happens that's unexpected. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, there's that delivery process there across the board that can occur. And it's the diligence applied to the way it gets delivered. So at the end of the day, um, these things do actually come to, come come together, but requires an enormous amount of, of, of work and facilitation to do it. And we've, we've got a number of buildings that have won multiple um, awards like GPO Exchange in Adelaide, we did with, um, with, with Charter Hall. And, um, you know, e even sort of going through the process of writing the award submission, you do begin to realize the enormity of the effort that was required all the way from the very beginning to, you know, have a client that is able to set a vision properly that sort of says, well, you know, help them to create that vision, you know, probably uh, more, more, the, more the case. So they understand, look, they have an aspiration, we want to do this, you know, what are the benefits? And actually being able to articulate those benefits back, you know, really, really clearly is important to making sure that you've got a team that actually works. So, you know, I think the successful projects are the ones where there is a, there is the, there is a great rapport, you know, in the, mm. throughout the delivery process and understanding and working with the builder because you're there to help. I think a perception from a lot of builders is you're there as a pain in the ass to sort of, you're coming yeah. with all this stuff that they don't normally do. It's like, why, why, why? Why are we doing all this technology stuff? You're just describing pain to me, mm -hmm. right? And I'm having to get water meters of a type that we've never used before. I'm having to get my contract to do things in terms of pulling data rate we never had to worry about before. So we were just talking about this the other day in, in, in our uh, work in progress uh, meeting there about the process when creating a smart building is now putting a lens onto the construction and delivery process of a building that has never been there before. Totally. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you were talking about the role of an independent commissioning agent. Now, the independent commissioning agent, their sole purpose of being there is to make sure that a BMS actually has been a mechanic, whole mechanical plant has been delivered to a standard that's going to meet specifications, going to meet the standards that are required, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is now being required for technology. So for the first time, a lot of contracts are being scrutinized as to the quality of the work of the systems that they're actually delivering, right? So for the first time, there's someone looking over their shoulder and saying, is your people counting system actually counting all the, mm -hmm. all the number of people in the building accurately? Yeah. Has it been commissioned properly? Are we getting data out of these, you know, electric vehicle charges properly in the right way? Can we actually understand, you know, the, the faults in there, or what are the data points associated with the car parking system? You know, is it working? So there's a lens now that we're applying across multiple systems for an entire building, which we're calling a smart building, in a process that's never been done before. Ah, and right. I think this is this is somewhat confronting, as you could imagine, for a lot of people, right? that A, I think a lot of people don't inherently understand the way buildings actually work. In the first place, they just yeah. understand, oh, yeah, car park thing seems to be working. Yep, access control seems to be working. You know, seems to be working is the, is the key phrase here. But the data tells the true story. Mm -hmm. oh. 
not all the controllers are actually online. Oh, it's not actually counting accurately something else. Oh, it's not something else. So, you know, in a way that I think the good thing about the technology and the data layer and so forth there is you're independently validating that each of these different systems that the owner is actually investing in is actually working and mm -hmm. working optimally, which then comes back to the definition of a smart building of a building that's able to continuously improve its performance over time. So unless you've actually created an environment where you can actually prove that point and understand that here's your line in the sand and from this point forward, we can actually improve upon that. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a real challenge, right? So this successful project coming back to the original sort of question is the project where that team is actually working together with a shared vision that says, look, this is the outcome we, we, we actually need. It's not just a tick in the box that says, yeah, system X has been implemented. Good, excellent. I'll see you later. Let me know if anything happens within the defect liability period. It's like, no, 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 this all has to work together in a way. So therefore it has to be understood by the contractors when the moment they're engaged, yeah, that this is the outcome we're looking for. You know, and that's where the successful projects actually happen because everyone was able to understand that that is, that is the outcome that's actually going to be required here. And, um, you know, when you go through that process and actually able to ascertain that all these things did actually occur, um, that, you know, and you can articulate that in a way that, that demonstrates to other people that that's the case, then you have a successful project on your hands. But it doesn't end there. Obviously, it, you know, it, it all then comes down the line as to how it's going to be operated. Um, and the handover to the operations team is really, really important. And you, you need those rare gems of people, which is the next generation of, um, you know, professionals that I think we genuinely need in, in, in the industry. It's like, how do you understand and get on board with all this use of technology, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that's, you know, we, the industry's crying out for you. You know, if you, if you want to do your digital twin, well, you better find the right guy that understands how to uh, the implications of running a building that actually is a digital twin because it's uh, it's it's complex, right? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bruce, this has been awesome. Let's let's close with some carve outs. So my carve out's yeah. easy. It's your book, "Smarter Buildings, Better okay. Experiences." I'll put that yeah. link to the book in the show notes. People definitely check it out. Uh, what's yeah. what's yours yeah. though? I mean, I listen to a whole bunch of different sort of podcasts on different things. Um, I listen to a podcast called Fully Charged, which is all around electric vehicles and electrification of transport and so forth, which leads to all sorts of new things around battery sort of technology. So I thought that's on the nerd side of thing. Uh, cool. Business Wars is, is awesome. So there's a great lot of narratives around there, you know, Coke versus Pepsi and, you know, Uber versus Lyft and things like that, which is pretty, you know, awesome. Uh, there's, a, there's another sort of, awesome sort of tech one uh, called uh, interesting called another podcast uh which is uh these sort of silicon valley um, analysts are talking about you know all the latest sort of tech and so forth is going on there so i top myself up with that every now and again um there's one called 99 invisible mm -hmm. uh which is which is pretty awesome um just a lot of to do with you know either design and built environment and you know it's a nice sort of steady pace talking about things that are going on in the world on the music front, I, you know, I like listening to a lot of sort of, uh, you know, electronic sort of, you know, house uh, progressive. No, okay. Uh, All right. Sort of stuff like that as well. So I listen to Days Like Night by Elkie Klein. So he does a podcast of all, you know, what he sets that he's done somewhere around the world. Oh, cool. uh, I like that as well. So I you know, keep up to date with all the sort of the latest music, much to the... Uh, uh, horror of other people who, well, for me, horror of other people who just have, you know, not as progressive music tastes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's great. I'll have to put those yeah, in the show pretty, notes too. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty mixed. I'll send you those links on there as well. But you know, sometimes it's it's good to be out there on on different fronts as well. So you know, not just the straight tech and business stuff as well, but on the music as well. So yeah, enjoy that. Yeah, love it, love it. Making the making the podcast more more groovy. There you go. Yeah, give a bit, give a bit of something else. <laughs> All right, Bruce. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. No, no worries. Thanks, James. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.